This is Ian Hartley. And I'm Warren Kay. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see Him more clearly, love Him more dearly, and follow Him more nearly. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast, and we are here together once again on our journey to understand the God that Jesus knew. And I just want to invite you to go to the website, rediscoveringgod.ca, where you can find the PDF document for today's podcast and uh, give you the ability to follow along with the text that we will look at and uh, be able to share that with someone else and refer them to it as well. Ian, we have a guest with us again. Why don't you tell us about Sasha? So, uh, Sasha uh, is one of the people who's responsible for the Monday night discussion that we have. Um, she is a doula. Do you know what that means, Warren? Yes, I do. Well, uh, tell she, me. She is a, it's like a birthing coach is what I would call it. Yeah. And uh, both both of my grandchildren that live close to Sasha uh, were brought into the world, but with her skill. Really? And a mother's hard work. Mm -hmm. So um, Sasha is one of those um, uh, sparkly people who always add noise and joy to any get-together where she's present. She's just a wonderful person to have around, and she's been with us for two podcasts, and somehow our introduction of Sasha got um, cut off, and we apologize for that, and we wanted you to know a little bit about her, and she's very young compared to Warren, and uh, but she seems reasonably wise, Warren. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> and she is very genuine if something yeah. doesn't make sense to her she asks and i love that uh, because we we get thinking about things in a certain way and then when somebody else hears it we learn how they hear it a different way and that that's very uh, a good growth experience for us yeah um so um welcome sasha and um it's just a joy to have you and yes. we want to uh, review what we've said about the millennium so far. Sasha has an announcement about Monday night Sasha go ahead oh yeah wonderful so we'd love to um, invite you Ian and Warren uh, to the zoom uh, class that we have on Monday evenings uh, 7 uh, p.m mountain standard time and it's just 7.30, sorry, yes, yeah. 7.30 Mountain Standard Time. And it's just a wonderful time that we can all come together um, as learners who are excited to learn about um, a nonviolent God uh, through the lens of Jesus. And it has been the most encouraging um, experience for myself and also for my whole family, because I just 
come out of these so refreshed and just bubbling over with um, new information and insights. And it has been so wonderful to have the group of people that are joining, uh, new people every week, it seems we have uh -huh. um, from all around the world, um, very engaging discussions and have thoroughly enjoyed um, spending time with everyone. So look forward to seeing you there. Great. Okay. So um, to review what we covered last time in um, Revelation chapter 20, uh, one of the things that captured my um, fascination was the way that God in a very nonviolent way captures Satan um, by simply removing the saints, taking them to heaven, the rest are uh, die and, and are dead. And so he's here on this earth um, bound by this chain of circumstances to ponder for a thousand years what has come as a result of his whole kingdom and, and what he had started so long ago in heaven. And uh, that was very fascinating. Mm -hmm. And then as we've looked at you know, is God vulnerable? And uh, so what's going on with the saints while during this length of time? We, we spent a lot of time talking about what are these saints who are sitting on thrones judging? What are they actually judging? Because uh, the saints are in heaven and the non-saints or the rebels are dead. Um, so... I mean, destinies have all been decided. Um, so what's there to judge? And we concluded that what the saints are really doing is judging God. And if you hadn't heard that before, that's probably a bit of a shocker. Um, but there's plenty of evidence in scriptures for this. And truth be told, each one of us judges God, whether he's worthy of our worship, or whether not. Um, so uh, this authoritarian model that God is always doing the judging is uh, um, not the best one to keep in the back of your mind. Um, I also want to remind us that uh, we also discovered that the saints are healed from the trauma of sin during the thousand years. It's a time for them to ask questions and uh, to consider the answers and the implication of those answers. You, you, you know, processing trauma, being healed from trauma, uh, is, uh, can only be done emotionally. Um, you, you can't uh, heal trauma with cognitive therapy. Uh, you heal emotional hurt with emotional therapy. Mm. So that's part of what's happening for the saints during the thousand years. And it's to prepare them for what's going to happen at the end of the thousand years um, when rebels come to a horrible end. And some of those rebels uh, were wanted by their family and friends in heaven, and they're not there. And that's going to be a very traumatic event. Uh, I, love the, I love the picture in Revelation 21, where it talks about um, that he will wipe every tear from our eyes. 
And I think that is going to happen during the millennium as well, because there will be terrible pain to discover that our loved ones aren't there or, you know, people that we, we um, looked up to. Uh, I can think of mothers whose son or daughter may not be there. That will be just uh, heart-wrenching and God will bring understanding. And, and with that understanding, he is wiping away the tears from our eyes and, and bring uh, healing to the emotional pain that we will experience. Beautiful. I love that. So uh, what did you pick up as a woman about this thousand years, Sasha? Um, yeah, I think this uh, image, um, the, the idea of uh, the eating the leaves from the trees or picking the leaves from the trees, Warren brought that out last time, um, for the healing of the nations. And I had never uh, picked that out before. And I absolutely loved that in um, response to the discussion we had in relation to trauma and how mm. we as people have been separated from the closeness um, because of the trauma in our lives and the generational trauma as well. Um, and just thinking about how we're just now starting to really learn about the effects of that. I think that was big. And then also the idea of uh, judging God. I just know as a young one, the idea that God was going to be judging me was foremost in my mind all the time. And it caused me a lot of anxiety. Um, and so this just turns us around and leaves us standing in such an open place with him. And just the idea how you titled it, um, Is God Vulnerable? Um, it just, it floored me because I thought, wow, he is 100% vulnerable to us. And we're learning about that um, true intimacy comes from vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he is standing in that place with us is, is just powerful. I love that. Thank you. So now we're ready to talk about why sinners are resurrected at the end of the millennium. And this is important because on surface reading, it seems like they're just resurrected so they can be destroyed again. Well, really, I mean, what's the point? Yeah. I mean, God, they've already been destroyed. If it's just a matter of doing away with sin, then that's been accomplished. Yeah. And, and so why on earth would he bring them back to life again? Like there's got to be a, a good reason for that. So um, we need to do a little background check on um, before we get to the answer. So the death we die now, which Jesus called sleep, is the consequence of Adam's sin. It's not the consequence of our sin. Right. Um, let me say that um, babies, animals, plants can all die, uh, but they've not chosen to sin. So when an animal or a tree dies, it's not because they chose to sin. It's because Adam sinned. And when we die, uh, or sleep, the sleep death, the first death, that's because of Adam's sin. It's not because of our sin. Mm -hmm. The consequence of personal sin is eternal death. So when Jesus uh, comes and, and lives and dies and resurrects on this planet, we say he's the second Adam. 
Now, just to decode that a little bit, um, the first Adam, when he chose to sin, all of us ended up being sinners. We never had to choose. We didn't get a chance to choose. I'm a sinner because Adam chose to be a sinner. When you say Jesus is the second Adam, you mean that whatever Jesus did, he saved us all again. That's what it means to claim him as the second Adam. So he accomplished what the first Adam would have been had he not sinned. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he reversed everything that Adam brought on us. Right. Yeah, that's a better way. So I, I, we need to read in Romans 5, where this is stated more clearly uh, than anywhere else, although it's stated in other places. So Romans chapter 5, Sasha, if you'll read verse 6, please. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Thank you. And verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you have the idea incorporated in what Paul's saying here is that while we were powerless, Christ did something for us. Just like Adam did something for us before we were born, Jesus did something for us before we were born. And so verse 15 to 19 uh, really makes this very plain. In fact, Paul says it five different ways to make sure you get it. So Warren, can you read verse 15, please? But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Okay. Adam brought death to many, but God's wonderful grace uh, brought forgiveness to all the many and more than the many, if it's possible. So <laughs> um, read verse 16, Sasha. Please. Um, mine's also the new living, but the wording seems to be a little bit different than your guys's. Yeah. Um, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Thank you. So um, <clears throat> Adam brought uh, many sins onto the planet. And, uh, but Jesus takes care of all those sins. By the way, that word justification means innocence. It's much more than forgiveness or pardon. So your translation uses justification. I'm happy for that. Uh, Warren, do you want to read verse 17? For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death 
through this one man, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Well, well we could um, talk a long time over each verse, but let's just read them. verse 18, Sasha. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. So one sin brought condemnation to us, and one act of righteousness brings innocence and joy and peace to us. Mm. Two atoms. And the effect of what they do affects everybody on the planet. Uh, verse 19, Warren. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Thank you. So, And when he says many, he really means all. Because everybody yeah. is sinners as a result of what Adam did. And as the same, everyone is righteous because of what Jesus did. So like Adam knocked us all into a hole and Jesus comes and lifts us up out of the hole and places us in good standing with God again. Beautiful. That's a good segue into what I want to say next. Jesus' salvation work places us all back in the position Adam had before he sinned. Mm -hmm. See, we can't choose not to be sinners. I mean, you can say, I don't want to be a sinner, but you are a sinner. Mm -hmm. um, so in order for us to have the choice Adam had, a free choice in this whole matter, we have to be put back into that situation. And this is what God is going to do for sinners. He's going to resurrect them and he's going to show them um, what can be theirs. And now there are no cultural roadblocks. There are no language hindrances. Everybody will be see into the holy city and they will see the possibilities for themselves. In fact, I believe that when they look into the holy city, they will see a townhouse there uh, with their name above the front door. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, indicating that God prepared a place for them. Mm. So what you're really saying is that this chapter five of Romans is not just words on a paper. This is literally played out at the end of the millennium where everyone is made alive. Because right now we... We tend to read this and, and, and think in our minds, well, those of us that have accepted him have this equal playing field um, and, and have this justification, the salvation, the righteousness that Jesus gives. But you, there's something you have to do. And, and yet Paul is very clear. No, he does this for everybody that, ever, that gets born on this planet. They yeah. may not know it yet. And our part is to go and tell them that good news. That yeah that he has, he has dealt with all of that and, and they are placed on a level playing field once again, as Adam was. But yet at the end, he does that literally. That's amazing. Gives them, uh, you see, this is, uh, we don't have the courage to trust to God's love. 
So we invent fear to try and coerce people to make a good decision. But God doesn't do that. Right. So the only way to really solve this uh, problem, and the problem is about what, what is God really like? This is what started this whole thing. When uh, Lucifer says to Eve, you know, um, God doesn't want you to eat of this tree because God doesn't want you to be wise like he is. Like God's withholding something from you. And if you eat from this tree, uh, you'll get it. So right at the very beginning, and we can extrapolate from the Garden of Eden to wherever sin started in heaven, he would have done the same thing. He would have said to the other angels, God is withholding from you guys, but I can give it to you. So the, this millennium is not about judging who's worthy to be saved and who isn't. We've all made those decisions. What's at stake here is what is God really like? Is God holding out something from us? Um, or is God transparent in every possible way? Does God welcome questions? Will he sit down with a sinner who has questions? That's what this is all about. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that element that you added there, that idea of fear as using it as a means of coercion, I think that alone, that piece was entirely the turnaround for me to understand who really is God. He is not holding a gun to me saying, choose me or I will sadly end your life. That always was the holding point for me to not be able to trust him. And for him to actually reveal that he isn't holding that, that is totally not part of it. That's not his character. That is, yeah, that was a lie, I think, that really changed the game. So traditional Christianity um, is loath to allow God to give anyone a second chance. And this is crazy because we have the book of Judges where the people left God time after time after time. And we have the book of Hosea, which is an acted out parable of how God never gives up on his bride. Um, we have Jesus telling the story of the boy that left home, took all the cash and squandered it. When he comes home, dad takes him back gladly. We have Jesus who uh, re um, institutes uh, Peter after he's denied him three times, after declaring that he'd never do that. So it's like God never stops uh, giving people opportunities to um, participate in his love and compassion for other people. And uh, so this idea that God reaches a place where he finally says, no, <laughs> No more chances for you. Um, it just does not fit the picture 
that we have of God in terms of does he accept people? So the end of the millennium will demonstrate that God can give you another opportunity. By the way, if you read uh, in uh, Revelation 21 and 22, you'll see that the gates to the holy city are open. Any sinner could walk in there. They're not in there because they choose not to be in there. And that must become transparently clear at the end of the millennium. Well, something that I just thought about is when all of the people are raised, the, the people who are the ones who don't want to ultimately come in, that's all across history of time, right? From the very beginning all the way till then. Yeah. Those are going to also be people who may never have had the opportunity to learn about the true character of God, right? Yeah. So it's like he's saying, even though there have been all of these mirrors that have, you know, you see me dimly, but now you will see me clearly. Like he's really then saying, I'll give you a chance to see for front row and center who I really am. Yes. Good. Okay. So, um, you know, I have you ever heard of Mori Venden, Sasha? No. no. So Mori Venden was uh, one of uh, the best preachers of God's uh, love and compassion for sinners that the Adventist Church ever had. Um, and I heard him tell this story once. Uh, well, something like this. This is sort of how I remember it. So um, Mrs. Smithers is inside the city and her son, Jimmy, is outside the city. And Jimmy went to church with his mom. She took him there. She told him all the Bible stories. Uh, but then... When uh, he got to his early 20s, he decided against God and what he knew about God. And Mrs. Smithers has been praying for her boy for 20 years. And she can see him outside the city. He's uh, an Air Force pilot. And the sinners have built their machines of war. And... Uh, she can see like a movie now of how and the angels of God and the angels of Lucifer are visible in this movie. And she sees how the angels of God try and influence Jimmy for good. And sometimes he leans that way and then Satan's angels will influence him in a negative way. And so it's like a yo-yo between good and evil. And Mrs. Smithers just believes that when push comes to shove, Jimmy is going to choose to align himself with the Jesus he knew as a young man. And so she watches all these weapons being manufactured and finally everything's ready to attack the city. And she... She just knows that Jimmy's going to change his mind. And she's down there at one of the pearly gates, just ready to welcome him in when he comes in. 
And then she watches as he climbs into his stealth fighter plane that has nuclear weapons. And she hears this. This is General Jimmy Smithers reporting to Lucifer. I am armed and ready. I await your command to attack. And suddenly, Mrs. Smithers realizes that Jimmy, having seen the New Jerusalem, having seen the townhouse with his name on it, having heard the invitations, having seen everything himself, how God loved and cared for him, has opted to go with Lucifer and attack the city. And Mrs. Smithers, Mother Smithers, has to acknowledge in her heart that her son is outside the city and doomed to die eternally because he would not let God bring him in. It really uh, amplifies how deep the deception really is. Mm -hmm. Because I can't imagine how anyone would choose to stay outside the city when they see God so clearly. Like to me, why wouldn't they all just come in? Right. And yet it's very clear from scripture that they don't, that, that, that there's this destruction that takes place. Mm -hmm. But they, this, the deception is so skillfully done that they cannot change their, their view. Uh, it's hard to comprehend. Right. So I'd like us just to have a look at uh, John chapter 6. Uh, this is a turning point in Jesus' ministry. Many disciples uh, leave him at the end of chapter 6 because he insists that he is the bread of life. And uh, he says in John chapter 6, verse 37, Warren, if you'll read that, please. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. So Jesus never rejects. That's part of the foundation understanding about Jesus. And then Sasha, verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those who has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Okay. So Jesus never rejects and never loses anyone who comes to him. You know, the resurrection uh, at the end of the millennium brings closure to the origin of sin. For it becomes clear to all that the wicked persistently and personally refuse the grace of God. And this includes Lucifer himself. Mm -hmm. It answers the question, of was Lucifer created with some flaw or was he created perfect? Uh, giving Lucifer yet another chance to change his mind is a revelation to the universe that God never intended for him to become the devil. It is the antitype of the scapegoat ceremony in the sanctuary service. The scapegoat was chosen by Lot out of the two goats. There was no behavioral reason for this goat to represent evil and be led out into the wilderness to die. 
This choosing by lots indicated that there's no reason for Lucifer's choice to become the devil. There was no predisposition in his creation to evil. It was a mysterious, decided choice on his part. And without these events at the end of the millennium, the question Lucifer raised about God's character could be raised again. This second resurrection, painful as it is for the saved, brings the closure that's needed for the whole universe. And I think that is so important. Uh, you know, for Mrs. Smithers to see her son make that choice, she can't blame God. She sees it herself. She understands. And for all of us who yeah. have friends that aren't in the city, we will get clarity and we will understand. And, and so God stands vindicated. He has simply done, he has simply accepted what people have chosen. They're not there because he has condemned them. They're there because they've chosen that. And he simply has recognized that. And because he can be aware of that more than we can. So you know that, um, that uh, Philippians 2 uh, says that every knee will bow before him. So this is when every knee bows. Yeah. Even Lucifer will bow his knee by saying, God, you are right. You are compassionate. You are what you claim to be. But he cannot change the way he responds to God. This is the awful holding power of sin on a human being. If you, if you dally with it too long, it becomes irreversible in you. That's the problem. Yeah, it's interesting to picture... Um satan as not being the same as sin he himself is controlled by sin it's an entity outside himself that he cannot uh, rise above he's been so deeply immersed in it that it controls him right to the very end hmm, that's an interesting angle i like that second corinthians 5 21 um i want to read it in the new international version second corinthians 5 21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is far out. Yeah. One of the, the most amazing things to me about Jesus is that he absorbed all the accusations against him uh, at the end of his life um, when it gets down to the final um, showdown between himself and the Jewish leaders. He absorbs these accusations with silence and compassion. He mounted no defense. He was systematically rejected by all, rejected by all during his life. The religious leaders, the military leaders, and the political leaders, and every person rejected Jesus. Isaiah 53, verse 3 to 5. Sasha, I wonder if you'll read that, please. Isaiah 53, verse 3 to 5. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. 
Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Thank you. The second half of verse 4 says, We considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. You know, for hundreds of years, uh, Christianity, Western Christianity, has taught that uh, it was really God who demanded the death of Jesus. And verse 5 responds to that. But, that word, that conjunction that negates everything that came before it. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. Wow. You know, by the end of the millennium, it's clear that the responsibility for sin and suffering cannot be left on God. Mm -hmm. That's important. This is why Satan is released from the abyss and sinners are raised to life. It is to demonstrate the desires of all hearts even though the love of God is evident to all. I cut you off, Sasha. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say that, that I think is the core issue for so many people who are not Christians uh, and who will not uh, believe in God because of the very fact that they believe that God is the reason why so much suffering is inflicted on the earth and on children and on people and and they, they just can't serve somebody like that. And so for people then to be able to have a chance to see that it's not from him, um, I think that will just, you know, yeah, I don't know what that will be leaving them with, but definitely this idea of healing comes to mind that they realize it's not from him. Yes, and uh, Jimmy Smithers uh, deciding to attack the holy city with nuclear weapons in spite of what he has seen about God makes that very clear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and this is alluded to in the sanctuary service when you have the, uh, the scapegoat that uh, is sent out into the wilderness uh, to die. Uh, and the responsibility for sin gets placed on the scapegoat. And, and we see that happening here as Satan is the one that is seen as ultimately responsible for sin. That even though God has forgiven all sin, he doesn't have to carry that throughout eternity, but uh, can place it on the one that is truly responsible, even though God has accepted responsibility for it. So this is one of the reasons I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, is because... I've only found in Adventism uh, the concept that God will not carry the responsibility of sin for all eternity. I've not found that teaching anywhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is very important to me. Uh, because if you leave it on God for all eternity, you're implying that somehow God was responsible. And so... Uh, this whole millennium um, saga um, unfolding of events is about addressing that issue. 
did God create Lucifer with some predisposition to evil within? Or was he completely neutral and uh, it was his, his creative genius that came up with this awful infection in the universe? And so, again, God is vindicated because it becomes very clear. Yeah. You know, what does it mean, uh, just regressing for a minute, what does it mean to have God in Jesus hanging on a cross? You know, we, we human beings have invented lots of gods. And we've had gods fighting each other. But no human invented God ever came and died at the hands of the creatures he had made. Mm -hmm. So this vindication of God, um, this revealing of God, um, which happens at the cross and now again during the millennium, when God in Christ is hanging on the cross, what he in fact is saying is that I have suffered with you. I've not been watching this on closed circuit television. Mm -hmm. I have suffered with each one of you on this planet. I've suffered more than you've all suffered corporately. And this is the only way you can justify God for not um, putting an end to Lucifer when he started to think these thoughts or if he knew Lucifer was going to bring this rebellion in, he could have just left him out and never made it. And we would never have known. And this, this thing about Lucifer actually being created and then God allowing this rebellion to develop, um, it says volumes about the transparency and the morality of God. Is mm -hmm. that we live in a free and open system in God's universe. He does not manipulate or control any of his creatures. And something that's jumping out at me is the idea of uh, if selfishness is ultimately what that um, brings separation, wanting to be higher than God, uh, that kind of um, desire that Satan had, this idea of the ultimate uh, sacrificial um, unselfishness of God here on the cross sort of completely takes away this idea of any, you know, God requiring it or anything like that. He literally is saying, like, I, I put my life right here for you to show the ultimate not holding your life, keeping it exactly his Jesus's teachings uh, that he was trying to share. That's just really hitting me how he's just getting completely vulnerable to us and putting it there. Because I've always sort of also not seen or understood entirely what the purpose of the cross was. And I still have, I think, questions, but that that really puts that uh, vulnerability and unselfishness there. Yeah, it does highlight it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, good point. Good point. So uh, um, if you read in Galatians 5.22, this is about the fruits of the Spirit. 
and we need to read it. Um, verse 22 and 23. Warren, will you read that, please? But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So I want to highlight gentleness. This is the fruit of the Spirit. So the implication is that gentleness comes from the Trinity. Mm -hmm. mm. See, the law given at Sinai did not include gentleness. Mm. I mean, if you didn't obey the law, uh, the law, um, quite frankly, you were executed. Mm -hmm. You were cut off, which is a euphemism from execution. And then Jesus comes along uh, 1,500 years later. And uh, he says, do not resist an evil person. Mm -hmm. And Paul gets it. Violent Paul gets it. The fruit of the spirit includes gentleness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is being portrayed uh, at the end of the millennium. Mm. It's not God who rains down his firebrands on uh, his enemies. It's the enemies which attack the city. They are the ones who are violent. There's no violence on God's part. And this all goes together. Uh, Jesus said to the Jews, uh, you're of your father, the devil. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Deceit and violence are trademarks of evil. Mm -hmm. And truthfulness and gentleness are the trademarks of goodness. And so just like we saw last time, several places in the Old Testament where um, the, the enemy army would end up turning against each other and destroying themselves. So those on the outside of the city uh, create a situation where the, the earth is destroyed. God can preserve the holy city but they have created a situation where they themselves are destroyed by the destruction that they bring about. I think that's key too, right? Because mm -hmm. there was, there was always this picture somehow that he would let it go until a certain point until they were almost on the city, it seemed, you know, and then it was like, and then the, he would rain the fire down and destroy all the people. Mm -hmm. And this, this changes that, that view. So the millennium is the great finale in the revelation of the kindness of God towards his enemies. On that tragic day, when all his enemies come to a miserable end, I'm going to be watching God's face. Mm -hmm. I know he will have tears of sadness and sorrow for those he created to live and love forever because they would not, they would not. And it's happened before. This is Matthew 23. This is after Jesus has been talking to the religious leaders and calling them on their hypocrisy and deceit. So he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together 
as the hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Wow, that's so beautiful. His heart is just breaking for them. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to take you now to Revelation chapter 5, uh, which is possibly the center of um, the book of Revelation and possibly the center of salvation story or song, uh, the center of the great controversy where no one can open uh, the sealed scroll and John weeps and weeps. It's the most um, in-depth outpouring of emotion by John in the whole book. And then uh, one of the elders says to him, uh, stop weeping. Someone's been found who can open the scroll. And surprise, surprise, it's a lamb with the marks of slaughter on it. Mm. Only he can solve the challenge and the problem of suffering in the universe. And then the angels, after they've seen all this, um, how the lamb is the solution, this is what they think. It's in Revelation 5, verse 13. One of you read it, please. Revelation 5, 13. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. They sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. So this is like a spontaneous outburst of song um, to God. Um, saying like <laughs> this, this language just tells me these beings are reaching for superlatives to describe God. They're just in total awe at how wonderful he is, you know, blessing and honor, glory and power belong to the one who sits on the throne um, and the lamb forever and ever. Uh, it accomplishes, the end of the millennium accomplishes um, what is needed to heal the universe. Okay. It is this recognition that God is totally unselfish, totally committed to his creatures, and that he loves them not because what he can get out of them, but he loves them for what he can give them. I, I love the progression that I see happening here. It starts out with the four living beings and the 24 elders, and they sing a new song starting in verse 9. Mm -hmm. And then in verse 11 the voices of thousands and millions of angels, they mm -hmm. sing a mighty chorus. And then every creature in heaven and on earth and under heaven and in the sea. So it just continues to build and build and build until everyone is proclaiming the goodness of God. Beautiful. Unreal. I can only imagine what that sound would be if everything even under the sea and every mm. creature everywhere and all the people, I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. What a symphony. We've been trying to sing salvation song mm -hmm. uh, 
in these mm-hmm. podcasts about the millennium, you know, yeah. is that uh, the, the awesomeness of God lies in his openness, his transparency, and his willingness to put himself on the line. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Come, let us pray. Oh, dear God, how wonderful it is to be in your presence. In your presence, we remember that you made us to love us and to serve us. And how embarrassed we are that sometimes we have told a different story about you. Mm -hmm. And how chagrined we are to hear different stories told about you even today. Mm -hmm. And in your presence, we reach out to you for eloquence and persuasiveness to tell the story as it's meant to be told. Our Holy Spirit, you have promised to do for us what we cannot do ourselves. We're not asking for personal benefit. We're asking for communication skills and for behavioral uh, ability to love the people we meet each day for your glory and our joy. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us today on this journey to understand the God that Jesus knew. To enable you to share this with your friends, we've developed a website at www.rediscoveringgod.ca where all the podcasts are posted and you can also download a PDF document that gives you the passages that we've been looking at in each podcast that you can review, follow along, or share also with your friends. In addition to the website, you can reach us at rediscoveringgod20 at gmail.com if you have questions or just would like to share with us. We would be glad to hear from you. Thank you so much.